in place forgotten by the foot of man. I want to listen to what I'm reading. Far from men, he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rock, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No birds of prey, no birds of prey knows what no birds of prey knows that hidden path, nor falcon's eye can see it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the root of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock, his eye I see all his treasures. He searches the sources of rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious oxen or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the bird's of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it and he also knows where it dwells. For he views the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. I read this scripture in the dead of night one of the days in the week. And it seems as if it's not from the Bible. I began to see my fully as a trained scientist. That everything that we thought did not exist, we discovered now, had been discovered many years before, thousands of years. The man who wrote this scripture lived before Job. And it talks about man 
creating tunnels under the rock. It talks about man digging the earth to the center core of the earth. really talks about the fact that there is a ring of fire under the earth, and inside that ring of fire is the water. As a land surveyor, I studied those things to measurement. He said about the fact that man blasts the rock, and they bring out gold from the rock. And it talks about some chemical compounds that we are studying today. Now, he was speaking about ingenious, the, the, the brain God has given to man, and deep wisdom God has given to man to search and research the earth, which no animal has. Yet, people think that technology just came now. This man spoke about the Bronze Age, the discovery of iron, and the use of mercury and other things. And the name of the man is Job. I want us to recognize that haven't he spoken so much? He spoke about the path of the storms, which we understand now from our studies. And we can even forecast now by our studies the path of the storm. He spoke about this wisdom God has given to man to be able to understand all those things and to be able to articulate them and use them to their benefits. And he asked, where is wisdom from? Who can tell me the abode of knowledge? And then he said, to fear God is wisdom. To shun evil is knowledge. So if anybody wants to increase in wisdom of this world, Anybody wants to increase in knowledge capacity of this world. The medicine to it is what you have today. It's Job 28, 28. To fear God, the more fear of God you have, the more intelligent a man you become. I want, to, I want, to, I want those of us who are academicians in this church, if you are an academician, I want to challenge you. That let us take these two principles and defile academics by inventing what academics have not seen before. That is increasing in the wisdom of God and in the depth of his knowledge. There is nothing new under heaven, Solomon said. What is had been before and what shall be already has happened. There are many things written in the Bible that our age have not discovered. Nothing that we discover now that had not been discovered thousands of years. Really, I was, I was talking with my son, who is the medicine, that um, one of the mysteries of uh, civilization as revealed by the Bible is that there are some civilizations revealed by the Bible that this present age science is still struggling to understand it. One of it is the mummification of Egypt. Up till now, science has no understanding of what chemical compound they mix together. If they know it, they will use it for something else. Till today, they are still researching in the field of science. They can understand. They cannot, they cannot analyze it. The word of God is profound. If anybody is seeking success, fear God and shun evil. Well, this morning, we had um, a discussion in the Bible school on Wednesday. In this church, for those of you who are coming for the first time, we hold our Bible school every Wednesday, and the Bible school is open to every Christian. Neymar, 
And part of the things that we study is that we notice that Nehemiah was a person that he planned, he strategized, and he built structure in everything that he did from the begin, right from the start of, you know, the beginning of what he did in chapter one. When he first, when his brother came to tell him about what happened to his brethren and the way the temple was had been broken in Jerusalem and how it need to be rebuilt, and one of the core things again that we learnt. Um, in that sense that Nehemiah prayed. He prayed every step of the way. Everything that he did, he, he, he laid it before the Lord and he prayed. He prayed for favor before the king, before he went before the king. He prayed for the gracious hand of the Lord to come upon him. He prayed also for every single person that was going to work along with him. And that was one of the core things that we learned there. Another thing that we learned was um, he had courage. And he had a relationship with God. And because of his relationship with God and with men, he received favor before the king. Because he identified that he was a very hardworking man. And his work was what brought him before the king. Because when he came before the king, the king asked him that, Nehemiah, why is your countenance down? Why is your countenance low? You know, and then he said, oh, the, oh, my king. And he first praised the king of heaven before he now laid his request before the king. Another thing that we identified with Nehemiah, that he served wholeheartedly. Everything he did, he didn't do it with any reservation. He did it everything without expecting any praise from every man. And um, one core thing again that we noticed that he was a leader indeed. Because in everything he did, he carried the people along with him in, uh, as a leader, you know, in terms of how he, he the, you know, the insight that he got from the time he received the report to the time that he went to survey the land in the middle of the night to the time that he chose the people that were going to work around him. Another thing that we learned about him is that he knew the right order of the people in terms that he put every person in the right position and nobody kind of strived to be somebody else in the position and in the office that they were, that they were working in. And um, when that came to um, give a summary to us, one of the core things that he said, which personally I held on to, he said, a leader puts things in place. And not only do they put things in place, but when they put people in place, the other people did not strive to do what other people were doing. And it brought a, um, a great reason is that as people, when we've been put in um, departments and, you know, you have like a leader, you have various people being put in position, you shouldn't strive to be somebody that you're not. You should just be faithful in whichever position that you're working in. And I'll just run down there so I give um, Pastor, because I was only giving two minutes. Go higher in God. And when do I expect my going higher? And I told him that you don't expect going higher in God. You don't expect the time you go higher in God. In God, just serve him. Let the decision of higher be his. As you, decide, as you desire to know him more. Okay? But if you set your mind into some spectacular thing, time, you will go higher. You will miss God completely. The Lord showed me a vision about United Kingdom. This is the 20, 29th year. It hasn't happened. And it will happen. Because I never sought for vision when he visited me. I never asked him. I even never prayed for England. I was praying for something else. And he showed me the destiny of this nation. Whereas also, the Lord spoke to me about ISIS the following month. 
three weeks, it began to happen, isn't it? The Lord spoke to me about your financial crash and told us the date it will happen, and it did happen. So with God, He does His things as He wills. We serve Him not because of what we want to attain from Him. We serve Him because He is our God. Are we together now? So take anxiety away, and that has to do with um, what this consensus about Nehemiah. All the people that Nehemiah instructed, it's in Pastor Jesus' one to everybody had the consensus. Everybody faced their duty, and one did not strive with the other. And when the leader instructed them, whatever the leader instructed each person, that's what he faced. The heart of each person is, I must finish my work. It's not, you gave me little, you gave him more. Or, Why did you give me much and you gave him little? No. Whatever is allocated to them, they just face it. And they also, whatever instruction the Himalaya gave, that is what is binding. The leaders instructed did not add to the instruction or delete from it. As they received it from him, they told the people exactly. Because Nehemiah, as a leader, is the one that God gave the vision. Every other leader got success because they followed the instruction. What happened with uh, people who are vision, vision, the visionaries is that what they tell you is a little fragment of what they know by God. And this happened to secular life too. In your office, when you are in your office, your boss will come and tell you that after going to board meeting, he will just come and say, you this manager, this is what you should be doing now. You, don't do this again. This is what you should do. You add this to it. Okay, we should get this section done. I want to employ this person. Each one of you instruct don't know what he wants to get. He has just come from board meeting. He has a full concept of where he's going. But the moment each person begins to do his job, maybe his intention is that our turnover last year was 100 million. And this next year, I want to turn over quarter of a billion. Now, it will now... You know, decimate that into, into each person. So when it gives each manager instruction, this is what I want you to achieve in three months. I want you to achieve this in three months. But these are things you can do. You will achieve this. Each one goes away to their section and move their section. By the end of the year, he can now call them and say that last year we had 100 million. Now we have a quarter of a billion. Now they will now realize what their faithfulness was all about. So in the household of God, it should be so. When you are given an instruction, face the instruction without striving. Somebody may have three gifts. You may have only one. It doesn't make him better than you. All right? It's just like some of us are tall. Huh? And some people who are tall, sometimes they are proud. And No, not proud. They boast, isn't it? No, maybe they are proud too. I'm taller than you, isn't it? Huh? But the fact is that when we are in the midst of crowd, we who are short cannot see. We will tell him, what do you see? What he sees, he tells us. Hallelujah. But if we have to escape from the midst of crowd, we who are short can, can escape. He has to bow down and follow us. Or else, if he goes like this, they will pick him up. Because your head is above the horizon. So, to be tall has advantage. To be short has advantage too. Hallelujah, somebody. So, as it is that I will admit I'm short, and the person is tall, we admit he's tall. And both of us are working together as human beings. 
so is in the church of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, do it all your heart, as unto God. And nobody should boast about what he is or what he does over others. You are not better. Even if you raise all the dead bodies in Lucian Crematorium, God bless you. We will call you the raiser of the dead. Oh, um, amen. And those people who carry the dead to the place to be raised, they are working too because if they didn't bring the dead for you to raise, you will raise nobody. So this is one of the key things we learn in the book of Nehemiah for us to be able to work together as a team. Pastor Joseph, please. Amen. When we studied the book of Nehemiah, our focus was on chapter 4. We examined the opposition that Nehemiah went through and his strategies and the final victory. We look at Nehemiah and his appointment at the king's palace. It was recorded that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and we we try to visualize or to understand how a man can be placed in the position of a cupbearer. Uh, we discovered that you must be honest and faithful for a king to make you a cupbearer. So Nehemiah was a faithful man and also an honest man. Amen? And from all the prayers that he offered, we also know that uh, Nehemiah was a prayerful person. He seek after God, and he put his hope and strength in God. We also examine the role of the scoffers. And we, we try to find out what has Nehemiah did for them to be so uh, hateful to him. We discover that he has done nothing. Scoffers are just scoffers. Whatever you do, they can water you down. And we discover that we still have them in our present life, in your community, even in your homes, you have them. One of the things that we, we also uh, studied about him, I will just read what I wrote so that I can be very fast about it. He was concerned about the state of Jews and Jerusalem. He was concerned of the deplorable state of things in Jerusalem. Though comfortable in the palace as a king cupbearer, he was in a position of what we will call chief of staff to the president. Because for you to be a, a cupbearer to the cupbearers for president, they are, they are chief of staffs. And so uh, Nehemiah wasn't just an ordinary person. It's a very good position to be. A position of honor and fullness. Yet he did not forget his people. Yes. Though he was comfortable, he was placed in that high position, he did not forget his people. 
nor shake off the thoughts of his brethren in distress. Though they were out of sight, far from where he's serving, yet not out of mind. Though his people were very far away from him, out of sight wasn't out of mind for Nehemiah. It's a person like that. Nehemiah have compassion for the people of God. He wept and mourned. Then we discuss the Nehemiah strategy to move the works forward, notwithstanding the opposition. Their enemies reproached and ridiculed their undertaking. That was in verse 2. They said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their war? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stone back to life from those heaps of rubble? These are mockers' statements. Hallelujah. Sambala speak with scorn of the workmen to discourage the people of God. Do they think, the, do they think building a city wall is a day job? Profane scoffers sharpens one another. The weight of a fox is enough to break down the wall they are building. These are all statements of discouragement. Yeah. Hallelujah from scoffers. They were saying all these things so that the, those people who rally around Nehemiah can be discouraged. They are everywhere. And they are the one that we always challenge the instructions from God. Mm. Every church has them. Mm. They spend their time discouraging others. Mm. They will not do. They will not do, and will not allow others to do. Mm. They are enemies of progress. Don't keep them as friends. Run for your life, as they are covenant-breaking agents. Mm. Many good work has been. Thus looked upon with contempt yeah. and ridiculed mm -hmm. by the proud and haughty scorners. Based on all of this, let us look at what Nehemiah do, did after hearing all these things. For their scouts, they answer with prayers. Mm -hmm. Instead of replying them, yeah. they prayed. Taking the matter to God in prayer. And stayed focused on the work notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah and his men realized that the battle is the Lord's. Mm -hmm. For insult they received for insult they received strength from the Lord. Mm -hmm. For every insult that the scoffers were passing, God turned it into strength mm -hmm. for, 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 for his people. So we rebuilt the, the with verse six said so they rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its its heart. For the people walk in all their hearts. Amen. That also shows that when you put your hearts to into whatever you want to do, you will succeed. If you can ignore distractions and put your heart into it. Success is guaranteed. And that's the, that's the, that's the key there. 
because everybody works with one heart. They were determined. Their spirit was stirred up because they know their God. Unity in purpose, commitment to God's works, knowing that the work is the Lord. Nehemiah's leadership skill was further revealed. Carrying out the work with all needful precautions against surprises. Wash and pray. That's what they were doing. They were washing, they were walking, and they are also praying. It demonstrated great wisdom and courage, drawing strength from the knowledge of God. Knowing that God was the one that caused them to do the work, that knowledge gave them strength. Amen? The reproaches of enemies should give strength rather than discouragement. When you are facing the same thing, the reproaches of your enemies, turn it into strength. Then we name the uh, verse 7 talks about all the groups that form the oppositions. And the weapon of the enemy, stirring up troubles among the people, causing doubts, ridicules the power of God, discouragement, plotting evils. These are all the weapons they were using. Hallelujah. This, then I, I said, the strength and safety of the church are the grief and vexation of its enemy. Yes. When a church is progressing, when a church is doing the will of God, enemies are not happy about it. They are not happy about it. It's the same thing in your personal life. When you are doing something that God has called you to do, and you are excelling in that, enemies are fighting. The Jews had done them no wrong. Their anger was merely out of envy and malice. They hated the Jews, versed at their prosperity, and sought their ruin. People like that are still very much around, around us, in our communities where we work, the people we do business with, even in the church of God. Our knowledge of God and trust in His power to deliver us is what we need. The knowledge of God that you know is what we see you through. Then good work. Every good work is God's work. And it shall prosper. No matter the opposition. No matter how long it takes. It shall surely come to pass. Every good work is from, is, is from God. He said, I'm the one that calls you to will and to act. Every good desires, every good thoughts, they are from above. Hallelujah. And once you carry them out, you will see that they all come to pass. Then the intelligent report that was passed to Nehemiah by those people who are living where, very close to the, where the enemies are. Amen? They came to Nehemiah and they exaggerated the actual threat. Ten times over. Amen. That could serve two, two, two uh, uh, purposes for, or it can be good, it can be also bad. For a leader that knows where he's going, such information will help you to prepare yourself. Hallelujah. You will take what you need out of that information and disregard the rest. Amen. But if the information is not properly uh, 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 tailored or delivered, 
when you are advising a leader, don't advise a leader in the presence of everybody. Because not everybody, leaders are few. Amen? But that information came to Nehemiah and all the, all the workers. Amen? So to the workers, it brought discouragement. To the workers, they received discouragement. And that's why Nehemiah said that they should not be afraid. He was bringing, uh, you know, was trying to raise back their, 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 their confidence. So when you are confronted with a similar message of fear, remember what Nehemiah said to the people. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. God, your commanding officer, El Shaddai, the mighty man in battle, is always in you and with you. Amen. Those people, Nehemiah, God was not in them, but we, God is now in us through a spirit. Amen. We must always know that, and that should be our strength. Weigh every word of the word uh, of the word of God, and do not act or moved by words from mere men. Our trust must be in God. Negative news will only slow you down. Avoid hearing it. And when you heard it, don't take it to heart. Amen? Then, uh, finally, we draw out lessons that we learn. Always have other options when you have to deal with people. Make sure you have plan A and plan B. Accept changes when it is necessary to change. Be discreet when carrying out God's given vision. Enemies are looking for such to abort or delay. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 12. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Be discreet. Be honest and be faithful. For a man to be chosen as a cupbearer to the king... Must have, the king must have found him to be an honest and faithful man. Nehemiah was an honest man and very faithful to God and to his employer, the king. A faithful man receives rewards from God. For God is a faithful God. God is the only one that rewards faithfulness. When you are faithful to the things of God, expect your reward from him. He rewards faithfulness. We must intercede for one another. While one half were at work, the other half were under the arms protecting those that are working. That should be the attitude of Christians. Pray for one another. Carry each other's body. Be happy when others are doing well and support when others need it. Thank you very much. I think that uh, Pastor just quickly uh, round up because he still has the prayers here, the prayer points that um, came out of it. And I think uh, he has two more bullet points. I think one of it says that this, the, the, the solution and distress of the church ought to be the matter of our grief. If you look at the present day church, the wall is torn down. It should be a matter of our grave. 
that's the church of God on earth, so that we bring it to God, that the Lord will raise builders, that will rebuild the wall of the church and restore the church back to its rightful position. But before we go out of that and talk about fasting and prayer and seeking God with a sorrowful heart, I, we want to read, just give us this understanding. You know, the Nehemiah was a Jew. And when he saw that the people at home, wall is destroyed, he decided to come and help. But Shambhalak was an idol worshipper who worshipped the moon god, the same god in Islam now. And Tobias was a Jew. Oftentimes, Satan plant people in the church who will always connive with the forces outside. They are the kind of people, like Pastor was saying, if somebody has a great vision and you discuss with them, they will discourage you. When God speaks and gives instruction and others are running with it, they will be telling you that, you know, are you, the, are you Mr. Christ with Tabernacle? They will do nothing and they will stand to hinder others. And what we saw here is that the Jews could not listen to Sambalad. Sambalad was the governor of Samaria. And uh, Tobias, who is a Jew, was the governor of Transjordan at the time, who is really even is an in-law to the high priest. So his son-in-law is working with Nehemiah while he is trying to discourage the rest of the team. This also can be mirrored into family. Sometimes when Satan wants to destroy a marriage, one of the partners will just begin to behave strange. He will never see things right. And whenever things like that happen, the, the major lesson learned from Nehemiah, he did not reply this scorn. He prayed until God overcame. But he focused on doing good. You know, you can, you can um, restore a broken home, one part of this home, by being faithful to God. If your partner is been taken over by the enemy, the only way you can restore him is that you not replying that, but concentrate on God and bear the fruits of righteousness. Still loving that person, showing that person love, treating that person as if nothing happened, but praying in the secret for the person to be delivered. And God will do it. But whenever we approach trying to use our power to try to fight for our rights, that's where we get into trouble. The rest part of the, of the time, I have five more minutes with you, or eight minutes, before I stop. What I want to bring, though what you have learned this morning, I'm very happy with it. Very, very happy with it. But um, what we have been discussing over the past one month is that you are the author of your destiny. That's what I've been telling you. This world, it is a place where God has given everybody all equal opportunity. I was looking at television yesterday in um, this country, Indonesia. It's Indonesia, Cambodia. A man, you know, who is running for presidency and who is one, they showed us where he was born. He was born in the slum. And you have many people born in the big cities, very rich and influential. 
Now a boy in the slum, the place is still a slum. He's now ruling over them. How did he walk his way from the slum? To take over the rulership or presidency of a nation that has rich people and highly educated people and he went through though he was born in the slum. And of course in our, in our country, you know, we had uh, John Major who was born in Brixton and he was not one of these Avalite guys and they ruled, he ruled the country. So we understand that you are the author of your life. Whatever happens to you is not devil, is you. Now, and I gave you some principles regards the grace in you. I will go through that with you again and then I will leave. Everyone that is born again has the gift of the Spirit. Everyone created by God has the gift of God. Romans chapter 12 talks about the gift of God. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4, 4, both of them 4, talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> but of course, in the gift of God, you have vision and other things. Now, don't forget verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says what? All right, now let us talk together. Shall we take it again? All right, don't go to verse 5. So that scripture tells you that there are different kinds of gifts, but the Holy Spirit gives the gift. Okay? Then the second verse 5 tells us what? Yes? Those of you who have been in this lecture, I want you to talk to me. I didn't, I said don't put it there. Who is in that place? Let me see your face. Don't do it until I tell you to do so. Church is a place where you'll be taught and you'll be tested. It's not a place where you just go someone talk and you go and they come again, you talk and go again and talk, 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 talk. What about the man talking if he drops dead? What happened to you? The word of God must dwell in you richly so that we can be sure that both of us who speak and those who hear. I'm not looking at the Bible now. And it's not my job to be a preacher. I'm a land surveyor by profession. I'm probably a student learned fellow. And a bricklayer. So, we all have equal responsibility to know the word of God. And what, the, the, what, what verse 6 says? Uh-huh. So, what are the three things? Gift, service, and what? Okay, now put that verse 6 there. Let's read together. There are different kinds of... Shall we read together? There are different kinds of... Now, now let me remind you the three key principles. Every gift given by God to man needs a window of service for God to manifest it. I would mean now. Now, if God has given you natural God's gift as an intelligent young man or woman, and you did not have privilege of going to school, that intelligence is there, but there is no opportunity for it to be revealed. You'd only be a good, a very wise advisor among the villagers. But the fact is that Maybe God has ordained you to be the ruler of the country. You have the brain. 
But for God to manifest that gift, you must enter into a service, which is education. Now, a good husband cannot manifest unless there is a marriage. A good wife cannot manifest unless there is a marriage. Gift is given by the Spirit. But the reason why many Christians don't manifest them is because for a gift to manifest, it is God who works it. And for God to work a gift, there must be a habitat of service. And when you come to church and you just come, hear the word and go, come and go, you remain as you are. It would seem as if you have nothing. Really, you may be going to other people to pray for you, who you have more unctioned than. That is saying that maybe you are a prophet and you can see, or you have the gift of prophecy, and you can understand and know things. And yet, because you are not functioning in the service, that gift, God cannot work it out. So you'll be going to other people who cannot see up to you to be praying for you and anything they tell you, that's what you do. Whereas you can see deeper than them. Only if you serve. Now, next week I'll do more talk about this. And I will go through the whole scriptures. But let me give you some Instagram research. You know a man called Gideon. That man called Gideon, he was, he was a wimp. We know from the book of Judges. When the enemies come, he runs into the cave. Until God appeared to him. When God appeared to him and asked him that, look, Gideon, what is happening here? And he told God all the bad news. And God said, go in this strength of yours. And he said, God, you don't know what you are talking about. In this country, I'm from the least of the family. And in the least family, I'm the weakest man. So in the physical, he is totally opposite what God has made him. So are us. We are more than what we think we are. It is challenges created by God to serve that beats out the best in us. Sometimes those challenges will come as confrontation. Those services will be provoked by confrontation. Sometimes they will be provoked by trials. And I'll talk to you about the difference between trials and temptations. They're two different things. Trial is from God. Temptation is from the devil. So temptation makes man fall. But trial makes man stand. Are we together now? And we need to know this, that all of us must go through test of time, which is trial. Because God is trying to create an opportunity for function. So that the gift inside you, the residue that is in you that you don't recognize, will begin to come up. And once it comes up, once it stays, you begin to use it. That's what it is. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, go study it before maybe next Sunday. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 4, 14, that Jesus returned the power of the Spirit and the news spread. But if you look what happened after that, he went about and was preaching. And when he went about preaching, that's when all the miracles were recorded. But when he was alone, learning, growing, no miracles were recorded. Let me show you something else. If you look at Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10, after the disciples had been with him for some time, he called them in chapter 9, 12 of them, he gave them power and authority. While they were with him, nothing happened. But he's, he'd given it to them. But they stood before Jesus as nothing. So they went. The first house, maybe no miracle happened. Second house, and Suddenly, things began to happen. They never knew they had so much power. 
And in chapter 10, when they came back in verse 17, look at what they said. 17 of chapter 10. It says the 72 returned what? With joy and said what? Come on, read it together. Okay, stop, stop. Let's read the cathedral way. Shall I read it together now? The 72 return. Uh-huh. They returned and said that we are deliverance ministers, you know. My, oh my. Demons were flying like. Because they didn't expect it. They didn't know they carried such power. Though it's been given to them. For those powers to manifest, they had to go first. Are we together now? And what did Jesus say in the next verse, verse 18? Let's read together. Uh-huh. And then, <sighs> so they did not know that they had done such power until they went out. You know, I've always said to you, and I think on earth today, I am in the right place to say it. Some people who are my colleagues or friends have challenged me on what I'm going to say now. That you all can do everything that Jesus did. Jesus said so. Period. If God used us, which he does, to heal the blind, the lame walk, to see the future, to detail, to raise the dead, which is done. He can do it through any one of you. All of you, really. There are two ways by which you can operate in power. One is relationship with God, and the other is gifts. There is a place where, because you are so close to God in worship and in your heart construction, anything you say, heaven backs it up. That is a better place than operating in gifts. They are the people who are custodians of truth. All of us can. Very easy. That's what I'm showing you. I've been told that, look, Apostle, you can't be saying that to the church. At least the pastor should have something the people don't have. I don't believe that. Jesus said in the book of John 14, 12, if you have faith in me, you will do the things I've been doing. And greater what shall I do? If Jesus, the one who died for us, wants us to do greater, why should a shepherd put people down? If I pray for you, you too will pray for me. Okay? If I use a gift to serve you, I want your gift to serve me. Because you can do it. It's just a matter of move into the service. You'll be done. And the last verse of that scripture, don't go for it from John, from the Luke. I want, to, I want to read this one. Let me carry my Bible, Joe. Let's read this one. How many of you are born again here? Is the answer. Yeah. So why do we clamor on deliverance when Jesus said you shouldn't do that? Why do we celebrate deliverance? Jesus said you shouldn't. Demons are nothing. Satan is nothing except what you make him. Okay. What you do? The name you don't give the devil. Remember, Jesus told me the devil cannot be in your life. All right. 
So like Nehemiah, when you see the devil messing about, forget about him, focus on yourself and focus on what God has put in you. Satan hates it. Because Satan is only a braggart. He only brags. If you see him roar like a lion, he's not a lion. But he can roar like. But the only lion that the Bible tells us is a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he lives inside you. So, I leave you with this. Go and think about it this week. Let us meet again on Wednesday in the Bible school. Mommy will be back by tomorrow. God's willing, and I'm very happy because I've been fasting. I'm very happy. You are not answering me. That's your business. <laughs> Hello, somebody. If you look at my face, I've been drying up for a few days now. So, you know, when you see me by Wednesday, my face will have been more refreshed. You know, she said to me to thank every one of you. God is doing mighty things in Lagos. Abuja was another thing. Another thing. Another thing.